Well, Happy New Year. Um, I don't want to be the spoiler of good news, um, but as you may or may not know, uh, time and our years are kind of arbitrarily chosen, so although we're in 2021, nothing's changed. So uh, welcome to New City Church. We're glad to be with you. Um, now, I, I say that because here's the reality. 2020 was hard for all of us in various ways. Um, and we would be fooling ourselves if we think just because it's a new year that somehow things are going to be different. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks before we dive back into Exodus is we're going to look at this idea of if we don't want to feel the same uh, as we felt in 2020, it's going to require us to do something different or else nothing is going to actually change. And so um, what I want to do for you this morning is I want to share with you a story from when I was in eighth grade that's the opposite of how life normally works. So I've shared this before, but in eighth grade, I made the middle school soccer team, which was like the height of my athletic career. Uh, I said this, I think the only reason I made it is because tryouts were extended an extra day and I wasn't there on the last day. So I think the coach forgot about me and he felt bad cutting me. So I'm pretty sure I was the last one on the team to make it. Um, I, and I know this because I played in what was called fifth quarter. So I don't know if you guys had this, but in our middle school thing, you had fifth quarter, which was a five minute game before the real game actually started for all the kids that wouldn't actually play in the real game. And so that was me, starting defender for the fifth quarter team, and uh, that was great. And then about halfway through the year, uh, one of our defenders broke his arm, and so he was out for the rest of the season. And so the second string guy moved into his position, and I guess he wasn't very good because at some point, uh, towards the end of the season, we were losing by a lot, and the coach asked me if I wanted to go in, to which I responded, I, I guess. Like, I didn't think that was an option for me to actually play in a game. And so he puts me in, and I guess I did okay because the very next day uh, on the, like, the school announcements, it said that Dylan Dotson was the winner of the Golden Boot Award. If you don't know what that is, it's in my, our soccer coach was very into European soccer, and it's like the best player of the year or whatever. And so I won player of the game. The only re reason I can think of that is that we were losing by a lot, and there was a point in the game where the, our goalie, I don't know where he was, and so it was just me and some guy, and he had like a wide open net, and I somehow stopped him from scoring, probably because he kicked it straight at me. But that's neither here nor there, um, which resulted in me starting the final game of the year. So here's little old Dylan, who shouldn't even be on the team, now starting. Now, I share that because I didn't actually do anything different. I didn't practice harder. I don't think I got any better. Like, nothing about what I did was different, but yet somehow I went from not making the team to winning a player of the game and starting, right? Now, we all know that life does not really work like that, right? In life, things don't typically change, and they certainly don't typically get better by us doing nothing. And so we, what we want to do in this series is talk about a few things that we might do differently from a biblical perspective to hopefully make 2021 feel a little bit better than it might have felt um, in 2020. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, relationships and community. We know uh, that this is a struggle for our culture even before COVID, but since COVID has come, it's kind of exacerbated our loneliness and our struggles. A couple of stats for you. And this was even before COVID. One it was a Harris poll that found that 72% of Americans experience loneliness. And for many, it's not a once in a while occurrence. One third, so they feel lonely at least once a week. Uh, you might assume that this is just a younger person problem because we have our phones and we're on our screens all day, but we actually know there was a survey done in Great Britain uh, that found that it is true that 89% of millennials said they suffered from loneliness. 
but also did 70% of people who were over 55. So this is an every person thing in our world today. In fact, um, if you are here today and you feel like you don't really have a lot of very many true friends or true community, a research shows that you're actually more likely to feel that way than to actually feel like you have good community. And to make it even worse, according to a study done in the Journal of Perspectives on Psychological Science, the subjective feeling of loneliness increases risk of death by 26%, just feeling lonely. Uh, in fact, I'll share one more. Psycholo uh, psychologist John Cacioppo from the University of Chicago has also been tracking the side effects of loneliness. And through a series of studies, uh, he found some surprising things. Here's, I'll just share two of them. One um, is that in a survey conducted with a group of doctors, he found that doctors themselves confided that they provide better or more complete medical care to patients who have supported families and are not socially isolated. Not just that patients that have supportive families recover at a higher clip, but the doctors themselves provide better care simply knowing that this person has a support structure. And one more, he's also found that loneliness, this is the good one, uh, raises levels of circulating stress hormones and levels of blood pressure. It undermines regulation of the circulatory system so that the heart muscles work harder and blood vessels are subject to damage by blood flow turbulence. Now, I have no idea what that means, but it doesn't sound good, okay? It doesn't sound good. And in fact, a, a, a survey that was done in November uh, of, this, of this past year found that they surveyed over 1,000 people in the age range of 18 to 35. So, of course, this is during the pandemic, and they found that 80% of the participants reported significant depressive symptoms during the pandemic. So the question then for us today is, what does a biblical community look like, and how can we experience it in order to combat these things? Right? We've all had a difficult year uh, for various reasons. One of them has been our community has suffered. And so what can we do, particularly from a biblical perspective, to maybe have this year not go the same way as last year and experience life how God might want us to experience it? even in difficult times. So if you have a Bible, we're going to take a look at a passage in Romans chapter 3 this morning. Uh, so you can, or sorry, Romans chapter 12. Uh, so you can grab that out. If you don't have one, there's a black one somewhere around you. And if you do not own a Bible, you can take that one home. It is our gift to you. Uh, some context behind Romans, which I think is interesting, particularly for the passage that we are going to look at, is that Romans was written by the Apostle Paul in the mid to late 50s AD. Uh, what's interesting about the, the time and place in which he wrote the book of Romans to Rome, uh, to Christians in Rome, is that uh, before a couple of years, a couple of decades before this book was written, there was a heavy persecution of Jewish people, uh, kind of started from the Roman government. And so many Jews had fled out of the city of Rome. By the time Paul had wrote this letter, many Jews were coming back. And so what you had happen here, one of the problems that the church in Rome was facing is that you had Gentiles, which were non-Jewish Christians, and then you had Jewish Christians coming together, and some of the Jewish Christians were looked down upon, um, they were uh, segregated, they were kind of demoralized, uh, they were kind of seen as less than, again, because of the culture in which they lived. And so Paul is writing to say, Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are, community is important. And the Romans really needed to hear this. And I think the time in which we live today, when we can be so polarized from one another, it's actually really applicable to us as well. And so here's what he says in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 3. Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, 
And all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So if I could give you maybe the Dylan paraphrase of what Paul is saying, here's what I would say. He's essentially saying, uh, don't think of yourself more awesome than you actually are and recognize that we all need each other, uh, that we all have different strengths and weaknesses and that your life is a gift, but not only is your life a gift, so is everyone else's around you, which means your coworkers, your family, your classmates, maybe even some of your friends that might annoy you are loved by God. In other words, they are not a nuisance to them, to him. So just like you are not a nuisance to God, the people that you find annoying or perhaps a nuisance to you are also not a nuisance to God, that God loves all of us equally. Now, this is significant because this goes against, uh, this truth kind of goes against one of our cultural beliefs in the day and age we live, and that is that we are great and that everyone else gets in the way of our awesomeness or our greatness. So our parents, our institutions, our schools, um, our organizations, it's everything on the outside is holding us back from being who, who we can actually be. Now, to be fair, there are certainly certain traumas and things that we experience that negatively affect us, but our culture would kind of, kind of teach us that everyone is out to get us, which means that we have to, in order to be our true authentic selves, we have to kind of push through what people, what society says, and be who we want to be. In other words, everybody else is actually in our way of attaining our greatness. And so they are either to be used or to be discarded. Of course, what Paul is saying here is the opposite, that everybody is loved, everybody is valued, that everybody matters. And so if we see people as obstacles, Instead of people created in the image of God, then we're not going to relate to one another in the way that we are created to relate. Uh, this is why Paul talks about us being members. Throughout the New Testament, uh, there are various passages that talk about the body of Christ as members of one another. Now, uh, when Paul references this, he's talking about the medical term member. In other words, what he's saying is that just like he says here, there are all different parts of one body. What, me what that means is that if you are not a part of the body, if you are separated from the body, you are dismembered. Like if you have lost a finger or a leg or an arm, you would be technically dismembered. This is what Paul says is what it means to be not part of a community of faith. It means to be dismembered. And it is not good for us because it means that we can't live in the, in the way in which God is, is encouraging us to live. Or put it another way, that a privatized faith is a dismembered faith. And again, this kind of goes against our cultural, kind of the culture in which we live, where it's just my relationship with God is between me and God and nobody else has anything to do with it, particularly if you have something to say that I don't like. It's just me and God and no one else can say anything. No one else can judge me and that sort of thing. What we see throughout Scripture is that that is not how Scripture uh, encourages us to operate. Scripture encourages us to do life together. And so we can certainly follow Jesus and trust Jesus and be included into his kingdom uh, on our own, absolutely. But it is not the type of faith that God is encouraging us to live in. A privatized faith is a dismembered faith. It's not the type of faith that ultimately God wants for us. I kind of think of it this way. When I meet with people, it's, it's very unsurprising to me at this point that the majority of people who are very spiritually mature and have a strong faith, almost all of them, are always connected to a local body. 
right? They're not living life on, on their own. They're connected. They might be serving. They might be giving. Uh, this means that they've experienced disappointment, that they disappointed other people, but they have relationships and community that encourages them to keep going. And what's interesting is this is not just an, on an individual level. This is also for churches. So for example, many of you know that we sent out our first church plant uh, in October, uh, Adam Pickard and his wife, Emily, to the Kernersville. Uh, we'll have an update for you, uh, for an update from them for you next week. Uh, I just want to say it's awesome. Like what's happening is really great. And what's and part of the reason why God is doing amazing things through Citizens Church, Citizens Church already is because they didn't plant alone. They are sent from a church. They are part of our network. And so they have other churches, a part of our network that are supporting them. They have local churches in the area that are supporting them. And I contrast that uh, to many other church planters that I have the privilege of talking to. And those that are kind of doing this thing on their own uh, very rarely succeed. But those that are doing it in community with others typically do much better. And so it is with our faith that Paul's encouraging us not to be dismembered, but to be actually membered to one another. And so we'll continue. If you look down to verse 9, uh, a couple of verses beforehand, he talks about how we did have different gifts and how they all work together. And then chapter 12, verse 9, he continues this thought about living in community and what it looks like. He says this, um, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their, uh, in their needs and pursue hospitality. So again, I'll give you a little paraphrase here. Paul is essentially giving us a description of a life pleasing to God. And he, believe, he, be, he begins it with love, right? We need to love one another. And then he practically shows us what this actually looks like. And so he says things like love good and not evil. He encourages us to treat, essentially to treat other people like family, that we should show honor to one another, that we should serve God, that we should be a patient and pers persevere in hard times, that we should pray and that we should help people in need. Now, here's the thing. This sounds really good, right? We, we read things like this and we all of us agree, whether Christian or not, you, you would see some of these things and you would say, I think this is a good idea. The problem is, or the challenge is turning this theory into practice. Not just saying this sounds good, but actually do it. Now, I know in Christian circles and at church, we know community and relationships are important. So what I want to do is I want to try to make this as practical as possible for us to think through how we are actually doing with these things. So think with me for a moment, maybe answer these questions to yourself. Let's just think about this past year, 2020, our favorite year, and ask yourself, how did you do in some of these areas. Now, no one's going to be perfect, but you can, you can judge for yourself. Like, did you think you did well? Or would you, if you honestly, would you say, I, I could have maybe done a little bit better? So think of it this way. Uh, did I love good and detest evil in 2020? Right? Did I love good and pursue things? And did I detest evil? Did I flee from sin? Uh, did I try to honor people? Well, how did I actually do with that last year? Or how about this? Did I treat others like family and honor them? Did I treat others like family and honor them? Those who disagree with me, those who have different ideologies and thought processes or act differently than I do, did I treat them like family and honor them? Or did I often become defensive or maybe uh, not loving the way that God would have us love? Or how about this one? How often did I pray? How often did I pray in 2020? One of the things that I've noticed just about myself and of course conversations with many people is that we love to talk to God 
more so than we sometimes love to talk, or sorry, we love to talk about God more than we sometimes love to talk to God, right? And so the question is, did we pray? So let me just, and this is not a guilt thing, let me just ask this question, right? We all complained about COVID and wishing it wasn't here. How often in 2020 did you pray that God would eradicate it from the world? Did you fast for it at all? Did you more than just say, God, before you fell asleep, make it go away? Or did you plead on your knees and say, God, would you move? I ask this again because we read this and it says, this sounds great, but are we actually doing it? That is the question for us. Are we actually doing these things? Now, you may say, as great as this sounds, what does this have to do with community? Like, how, do, how, how did me answering these questions, what does this have to do with community? I don't have a lot of empirical evidence to, to answer this for you, but it is my assumption that your level of success in these things, pursuing good, detesting evil, treating others and honoring them like family, persevering well, uh, prayer, my guess is that your level of success in these things is correlated with your involvement with Christian community. My guess is the more involved you are and you have friendships and relationships, you might have scored yourself better than those that did not. Again, this is not a guilt thing. This is just, this is just my guess. Now, I know that I'm not completely off base here because there was a massive study released by Gallup, which is a really big national research firm. They do a study every November and December asking people about a number of things regarding their mental health. And they kind of do like a year-over-year year thing to see how they were compared to the previous year. And so this came out. Maybe you saw it because some people were sharing it. They were really excited about it. Uh, and they found that every single different demographic and study group that they found uh, re- re- reported a negative mental health score, that things were essentially worse than they were in 2019. And they, they broke this down in all different categories, age, gender, income, relationship status, single, married, family, everything. And they found that every single category that they broke it up was in the negative sometimes single digits, sometimes double digits, except for one. The one that they found that was actually positive by 4% were those who attended weekly worship services. Now, weekly there is important because they also tested for twice a month or once a month, and those people also reported a negative mental health score, however they did it. Only those who attended weekly worship services actually said that their mental health was better in 2020 than 2019. Now, To be honest, I obviously attend weekly worship services. I would say that's not true for me. I would much rather have been 2019 than 2020, but I will say it's much better than it would have been if it was on my own. Now, it's not like there's a secret magic pill that if you go to church every week, you just feel better. But what typically that means, it means you're connected and you're involved. And if you're connected and you're involved, then you probably have things in your life that help you in life is hard. You might be serving. You might be in a group in some manner. You probably have habits in your life that are encouraging you and are helping you. And so what Paul is saying here, what we see in Romans when it comes to community or a lack thereof, that a life detached from, a, from community is a detached life. Now, I know you're thinking, Dylan, that is a brilliant statement. Like, how do you come up with that? A life detachment, I mean, it's just amazing, right? (laughs) Not really. But the point is that a life detached from community, a life dismembered, is a life that 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 is not going to be what it could be. Now, the hard thing is that it is hard to live in community. Love, actually loving, not just talking about the idea of love, but actually doing it, is hard. 
And of course, in our society with the technological advances that we have, it makes it even harder because we have a lot of things that numb us, right? We have a lot of things that make it easier for us to kind of stay isolated. We've got our phone and we have games, we have TV, we have media, we have all these things that can keep us from pursuing community. In fact, uh, there's an app called Rescue Time uh, that's on Android and Apple, and it's a thing that people uh, kind of download, and it tracks how much time they spend on their phones. And if you have an iPhone, it was a year or two ago when iPhone had their screen time report, and everyone was talking about how they spent way too much more time on their phone than they thought they did. Uh, Rescue Time says that they um, everything that they track and the, the data that's given to them, that the average person spends three hours and 15 minutes on their phone a day. Three hours and 15 minutes. Now, we might at first think that sounds like a lot, but think about it, right? A lot of people, the first thing they do, take out their phone. The last thing they do on their, as they're lying in bed trying to fall asleep, they're on their phone, right? Even when you go to the bathroom, what do you do? You're afraid to say it, but you pull out your phone. Here's, right, here's how, here's how I know, right? Because like five, 10 years ago, when smartphones became a thing, and it was like, you would go to the bathroom and you would like pull out your phone, and if someone found out about it, they'd be like, dude, that's gross, why would you do that? And now if you go to the bathroom and you don't pull out your phone, people are like, what are you doing in there? It's like, going to the bathroom is not enough, right? You have to be on your phone, apparently, right? And so here's what, the, here's what this means for us. What this means for us is then we, we're in a culture now where we kind of idolize busyness, we say that we are busy all the time, uh, and then it stops us from doing things that God has called us to do. Now, to me, busy is a four-letter word, especially if we can talk about the last three shows we've been watch, binge-watched and we're on our phone multiple hours a day. Busyness is not the reason we're not in community. It's an easy excuse, but it's not the reason we're not in community. The reason we're not in community is because we might not have prioritized it or been intentional with it. Uh, we're not busy. We have to do these things, but it is hard but if we're not intentional, then we're going to live in isolated and life is going to be much more difficult than it has to be. And so we need one another. And so we'll continue. Here's what he says in verse 14. Again, continuing this idea of what does it mean to live in community and to love people, not just to like theoretically talk about it, but to do it. He says this in verse 14 of chapter 12. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Remember his context here, that this was not happening. In our context, in our culture, this is also not happening. And so he's telling us to do things that do not come natural to us and are not encouraged in our culture today. Again, if I could paraphrase it, essentially he's saying, bless those who curse, or maybe in our context, disagree with you. Weep with those who are hurting. Not, don't be proud and forgive. Now, again, these things sound great, until we actually have to do it. And we do not do these things. And I'm not saying like we as New City. I'm just saying us as a culture do not do these things. We don't bless those who disagree with us. We don't weep with the hurting unless it's a cause that we personally care about, right? We often are prone to be proud. We certainly don't like to forgive because why? Again, people are obstacles that hold us back from who we're supposed to be. Instead, from a biblical perspective, they are loved by God and they can actually help us become the type of people that God wants us to become. And so again, if we just think about 2020 and how we did with these things, think about some of the hot button issues that came across the world in 2020, right? COVID, 
your response to that and people's varying response to that. That was, that was pretty, caused a lot of tension. Uh, the racial justice conversation or injustice conversation that came to light, uh, that could cause a lot of tension. Uh, the election could cause a lot of tension, in fact, still is. And so the question then becomes, when you think about just those main big three things, how did you respond, if we're thinking about blessing those who curse us or disagree with us, how did you respond to those who disagreed with you in those areas in 2020, right? Now, notice I'm not asking about whether or not you were right, right? Paul in here doesn't say anything about being right. He's just talking about loving and responding, Right? How did we respond to those things? Did we think people who disagreed with us were dumb and they just don't know anything and they're just terrible people? Um, and not to say you can't have convictions, but how did we respond? Were we loving? Did we honor them? Did we treat them like family? Did we bless them? Uh, this brought to mind to me a quote I read last year by a pastor named Darius Daniels. It'll be on the screen. He's an uh, African-American pastor in New Jersey. Uh, he's talking specifically about the racial injustices that he and many of his community experience. But you could use this for any number of hot-button issues that, uh, that you may or may not agree with. Here's what he says. He says, I've noticed quite frequently that when African-Americans begin to express grief about real or perceived injustices, they are lectured, rebuked, and even patronized. And then he says this, which I think is so key. When someone is in pain, whether you agree or not, love doesn't lecture. It doesn't. It doesn't say, well, have you thought about this? It doesn't say, well, let me tell you about my experience. It says, you're in pain, I'm going to weep. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be there with you. In other words, here's what this means for us. That community requires you to love. It requires you to love. If you want to be in community and have relationships ongoing with people, they will hurt you and you will hurt them and you will only get through it if you actually love. Not if we read this and says, it sounds nice until somebody hurts me and then I'm going to not be friends with them anymore, but I'm actually going to do it when it costs me something. I'm actually going to love. This reminds me of when I was in seventh grade, uh, there was a state student by the name of John McKeever who started serving at our church and our youth ministry. And from seventh grade all the way until I graduated in high school, uh, he kind of stayed with my friends in my age group. So seventh, eighth grade, he spent a lot of time and money and effort and had a massive impact on my life, a massive impact on my life. And I remember when I was either in eighth or ninth grade, so he'd been around for a couple of years, and I don't know why I thought to do this, but I wrote this email to like my parents, coaches, teachers, mentors like adults in my life that had made an impact. And I wrote it to all of them. and was just basically saying, thank you for what you've done. You, you know, you meant a lot to me, blah, blah, blah. And I remember John McKeever, or as we called him Kiva, he came up to me after he got it. The next time I saw him, he said, Dylan, I can't believe you wrote this email. I've always thought you were such a punk, right? <laughs> and I was a punk, right? I probably was, right? And it was, when he said that to me, it made me realize like he's not here because he like always enjoys this. He's not here because we certainly listen to him and does whatever. He's here because he's loving us. He's taking his time. He's taking his frustrations. He's taking us not listening and doing whatever we want to do. And he's loving us. And that's why he made an impact. Community requires you and I to love. We have to love or we will not experience it. And so the last part we'll read in chapter 12 of Romans, it says this, starting in verse 18. After saying all this, he says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, in other words, do what you can to live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me. 
I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, right? This is the complete opposite of what we typically like to think of what we should do. And he says, for in so doing, you will reap heaping fiery coals on his head. And finally, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. In other words, what he's saying here is live in peace as much as you can. There's a lot of things we can't control, but our responses and how we interact, let's live in peace as much as we can. Let's trust God, right? To not take vengeance in our own hands means we actually have to trust God. And let's overcome good with evil. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how you do this alone. I don't. Our culture will not let you. And this is not me trying to like be a pastor and saying you should do. I just, in our culture today, you cannot do any of these things by yourself, because our culture does not lead us to do these things. Our culture leads us to do the opposite, right? And so the question then becomes is, how do we follow Jesus alone? I don't think you can. In fact, in the New Testament, there's lots of different numbers. The best that I could come when I was looking it up was there's about 59 one another's in the New Testament, give or take a couple. Uh, and basically, basically in the New Testament, that means there's 59 times where the writers talk about loving with one another, encouraging one another, uh, praying for one another, weeping with one another, holding one another accountable, all these things, 59 times, which means that following Jesus can't be something done in isolation. Or put it another way, that we can't emulate Jesus alone. Now, this is not to say if you're kind of isolated and you're on your own that you cannot follow Jesus. It does not mean that you don't love Jesus, and it certainly does not mean that Jesus doesn't love you. But what it does mean is that if we're not connected to any sort of local community, then we can't follow Jesus the way that we are commanded to follow him because we can't do these things if we are on our own. We can't emulate Jesus who himself did these things by ourself. We need one another. We can't emulate Jesus alone. And so here is what I want to do. I want to, again, I just want to make this practical because I think, especially if you've been part of church for a while and you're here or you're watching online, it's like, I get this stuff. I understand. What do we need to do about it? Let me give you just four practical things that you could do, uh, especially if you're like, I want community. Like, I want it. It's not that I don't want it. I just don't have it. What can we do this year so that it's the new year and it's not the same you. Here's one thing that you could do. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we have our partnership lunch. So if you're new with us or if you've been coming and you haven't been to one, we do this at once every quarter or so. We order some pizza. It takes about 60 to 75 minutes. We talk to you about our church, what we believe, what we do, so that you can know whether or not this is the church for you. I think we do ourselves a disservice if we, for example, if you come to New City or any church and you're there for six or nine months and you don't know what's happening at the church, you don't know if this is a church that, that you really want to get invested in. So if you haven't been to one and you're available that day, I would encourage you to sign up. You can sign up online or sign up at the table and we'll send you all the information. But this is one practical way, particularly if you're newer around New City, to see if this is the community that you could be a part of. I would encourage you to check out the partnership lunch if you've never been. Uh, the second thing you could do is our community groups. They start back up uh, in a couple of weeks. We have some groups that meet every week and other groups meet every other week. Uh, it's a small group of people, so there's a lot less people. So if you're uncomfortable with big crowds, uh, this is an easy way to get involved, particularly if you're uh, uncomfortable coming on a Sunday morning and you're watching online. This is an easy way uh, to get involved. Uh, they share a meal together. We talk about the sermon. There's not like homework you have to do ahead of time. You just hang out and you meet with people. Now, again, I know that community groups are a time commitment. But if we spend two to three hours a day on our phone and other devices, we can do this one day a week. If we want community, we've got to do what it takes to experience it. In fact, at New City Church, we believe in it so much that we even help pay for childcare if you have kids so that you can be a part 
of a group. They start back in a couple of weeks. You can sign up online for more information or at the Connect table, we'll send you more information. I think that's a great way to be a part of community. Or just one other step you could do here at New City Church is you can join a serve team. Uh, serving looks different, and we have a lot of needs because of COVID. Uh, if you have maybe have served at previous churches, just so you know, we don't ask for you to serve every Sunday. We don't want you to be here late or early every Sunday. Typically, we just want you to serve once a month. We have a very big need in our kids' ministry, uh, which meets on the other side of the wall, or just in our hospitality teams in various ways like that. You can sign up or get more information at the Connect table or online. Or I forgot to mention, there's this little Connect card that all of us have in front of us. Even if you're new, on the back, it talks about community groups and serving and partnership. You can just put your name and email and check one of those boxes as well if that's easier for you and drop it off at the Connect table and we'll follow up with you this week. But serving is a great and it's an easy way to get to know people at this church and to make a difference. And then lastly, I don't have a fancy slide for this, um, but meeting one-on-one with somebody. Uh, Particularly if you're a guy, this is something you might not feel as naturally inclined to do, but this is something that I do. I have a friend that we meet with every other week, and we talk about life. We hold each other accountable. Uh, We talk about our marriage and our purity uh, and how we're treating other people around us. And I think this is vitally important to have someone that loves you and that cares for you, whether it's coffee or lunch or even over Zoom. It's just simple to do. It takes an hour every other week or two hours every other week. If you like meeting with somebody one-on-one is a way to experience what God might have for us. Now, I say all that to say, it's just, I just want to mention this, uh, that I know part of our problem is COVID. And, and so part of it, for very legitimate reasons, some people are more isolated, maybe them or a family member or an older family member, or someone has a, a pre-existing condition that makes it difficult. And so I just want to be honest as I can. Um, we got to do, do what we got to do to stay healthy. But part of the problem is isolation. Uh, like there, there, just, there is no substitute for community. And so for those that might be more nervous about any sort of physical interaction, I would just encourage you by saying, what is your plan now or what is your plan after COVID? Because if we stay the way that we are staying right now, we will not experience anything different. And in fact, we even have a Zoom community group that meets online for those that are more comfortable doing it that way. If we don't do anything, if we stay isolated, life will continue to be difficult. It'll continue to be hard. And so, of course, we got to be safe and we got to be smart. But if we do not have community, we will not experience the life that God has for us. Um, So now I know that I've said a lot and maybe this seemed kind of heavy. So I'm going to end with some encouragement if I can. I just want to read to you Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. It'll be on the screen so you don't have to turn there. I just want to encourage you with this as we talk about community and our need for it. Uh, Paul also wrote the book of Colossians. He says it this way. He says, therefore, as God's chosen ones, talking to Christians here, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, these are things that sound good, but they're hard to do, but he's encouraging us to do them. Verse 13, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Uh, The encouragement that I want to leave you with is that we forgive others. Why? Because Christ forgave us. We love others. Why? Because Christ loved us. We extend grace. We weep with those who are weeping. Why? Because Christ did those things for us. The good news of the gospel is that God does not ask us to do anything. 
that he didn't first do for us, that he came and he laid down his life so that any one of us, no matter how difficult last year was, can receive the grace, mercy, and the redemption of God. And so as we follow Jesus, as he forgives us of our sin, as we follow in him and experience his life, death, and burial, his resurrection, his grace in our life, that is what motivates us. And that is through the power of his spirit gives us the strength and the courage to do these hard things. So all that to say, I'm going to close with this reminder. As we talk about community and the importance of it, we can't remember this important fact. And that is that community is not the means of receiving God's love. It is their means of experiencing more of it. Community is not a box you check so that God will love you more. Community is a way that we can experience more of his grace. And so the encouragement here is to not to do the things we talked about because it's the right thing to do or because God wants us to do them. The encouragement is to do them so that we can experience his grace, right? This isn't about checking a box and making sure that we're all good so that God loves us more. This is about experiencing more of the love that he already has given to us through his people. And so as we go throughout 2021, the question becomes, what changes do I need to make? And I want to encourage you, if you are involved in these things, it's not so much that maybe you need to make a bunch of changes, but the encouragement is to continue in them. It's to not stop what you're doing when life gets hard and when life gets difficult. Don't forget that community is not a means of experiencing it. It's the means, or sorry, the means of, of, of getting God to love you. It's the means of experiencing his Love, And so we can go to the Father who has demonstrated all of this on our behalf for us. And as we emulate him, we can make it possible for other people as well to experience the grace and the life that he offers. Let's pray.